Just leave it in there. Okay. Well, I want to I want to pray for you and I want to pray for them as they listen to you. So, good. We're glad you're here. Thank you for coming and sharing with us today. And we thank you, Father. Even as we sense your stirring in our hearts tonight, we know you're stirring here in the cities. We know you're stirring in this state. You're stirring among your people. Oh, God, we come with our inadequacy. We come with our failure. We come with our brokenness. And yet we say, use us. Have your way in our midst. Work tonight. Bless our brother as he shares this evening. Lord, meet his needs, his personal needs, his congregational needs. Thank you for the ministry that you have given him as rector at St. Thomas Seminary. And so we bless that ministry and that work and the authority that you are granting him to, uh, to speak of the lordship of Christ and the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Upgrade our confidence in you, God, this night. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Yes. It's wonderful to be with you tonight. Uh, I was here in August. I was here in August and uh, enjoyed the worship very much. And enjoyed it tonight, too. I felt like I wanted to just rest in the spirit. And... uh, but no, the Lord wanted me to speak, so <laughs> I, I do that. The uh, music is very beautiful. It reminds me of a, another very talented musician who is deceased, Mozart. And I don't know if you heard lately they were digging up his grave, and he was down there, and he was furiously erasing scores of music. And they said, Mozart, what are you doing? He said, I'm decomposing. <laughs> Great jokes at the Catholic Church. (laughs) Well, I want to thank Paul and Karen, lovely wife. Uh, When we first prayed at St. John Vianney Chapel, where I'm rector of 137 seminarians, uh, we we just started praying, John told the three of us, listening to God, what would you say? And uh, all of a sudden he walked over to the piano, okay, and he started playing music, and I was like, oh my. Wow. So it was like totally enriching. And when you pray, Paul, it's powerful. It's full of zeal and wisdom. And so when I looked into your eyes, I saw fire. I saw fire. Not not because it's like that's the first time it was there. It's because that's in you for many years. It's been burning. It's been burning for many years. So uh, we're sort of making a little trade-off. I have uh, a prayer meeting at St. Thomas called Charismata, which is charismatic prayer meeting. Yeah, uh, woo. Uh, keep praying for it that it keeps going. And, and I thank John Tolo and his group from uh, Frogtown, Godtown, who's here. Many are here tonight who also come to pray. So that ministry is growing, but we're going to have you, uh, Pastor Paul, over to Charismata, and we're going to have you speak about zeal. Okay? Zeal. Okay, and that fits, that fits you. The fire in you catching others, others catching it. So uh, I grew up in St. Cloud, Minnesota, and I'm the oldest of three children. Uh, it was a 
regular Catholic family. I'm just curious, anyone here also grew up Catholic? A few of you? Okay. Okay, a couple of you went to Catholic school. Uh, so what we do in Catholic is, you know, we make the sign of the cross. Uh, we do repeated prayers. And hopefully we start to pray from the heart at some point, right? Because we have a lot of ritual. We go through the ritual. Well, so my family is very wholesome. Uh, I went to public school, actually, until St. Thomas. We were taught, I was taught to pray before meals and pray before bed. Uh, we were not a very religious family. We were wholesome. We were practicing. Uh, we were moral. And, you know, my parents taught me, you know, wait till you're married before you relations, you know, don't go get drunk and so on. I, I listened to them sometimes and sometimes I didn't. But uh, and that's what the drunkenness part. But in any case, <clears throat> so I, I in, in ninth grade, I went to a, a speaker at St. Cloud State who was some missionary, and I'm not sure who it was, but the missionary said, you know, you should all give your life to the Lord. You should make the Lord Jesus your personal Savior. And he had an altar call, and I did go up as a ninth grader, and a bunch of my friends went up there, and then they had us meet in groups. And, and what I did after that was uh, I started praying a little bit every day. So I'd open my Bible and I'd pray for five minutes. Now I'm a ninth grader, okay, in high school. And for uh, a year and a half, I did that, two years, and I felt good about it, felt great about it. I was part of a youth group, a young life group. But I still had more choices to make later on. So I was also an athlete, and I played baseball and basketball in high school, a little bit in college. And a lot of the athletes were in the party scene. So later in high school, in order to kind of belong, to be part of it, I entered the party scene too and uh, drifted away a little bit from the faith. Well, uh, I went to college at St. Thomas, and I continued in that vein uh, until I lost a scholarship. Okay, so my grades were down. Uh, I was playing baseball. I was partying on the weekends. I wasn't applying myself. Uh, This was a good valley. Okay, it was a good valley for me to come to. And so uh, I, re- I went back to my early high school and the wholesome family, and I just said, Lord, uh, I need you to come help me. I need you to help me to say no to this party lifestyle. I need you to help me to overcome the lack of self-control that was growing in my life. And so he did. And so he did. Yeah. And so I started praying again a little bit every day. I started studying theology. Anyone study theology at a university? Religion? Okay. I loved it. It was the first subject I actually studied ahead of time. Okay. So science, history, great subjects, but I was always procrastinating to the last minute. Uh, Now with theology, I was even buying recommended books, (laughs) not just required books. Okay. And I was gobbling them up. I was gobbling them up. I went to uh, Philadelphia, and I worked in the inner city in Philadelphia with, it was actually an ecumenical venture. It was led by a Lutheran pastor uh, who was from Matamidi area, and it was started by Tony Campolo, who was a Baptist uh, preacher and teacher at a university near Philadelphia. And so there are nine, 90 of us out there, and I was one of them, uh, and I learned a lot. I learned a lot about evangelization, courage to do so, we went into the uh, projects to work with mostly young African-American kids. 
and we would have Bible studies, and I coached their sports teams. And uh, I was challenged in my faith. Okay, so across the table from me was uh, a young man from Indiana, and uh, we introduced ourselves to each other, and we got to know each other a little bit, and then he said, well, why do you worship Mary? (laughs) You can laugh, it's okay. (laughs) Why do you worship Mary? Now, at the time, great question, Gret, at the time, I'm like, I don't know anything, I'm just growing, I'm very, I need a fight in my faith, okay, I just... You know, where is the Bible? I say, well, I start to, I think there's an Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, you know, very young in the faith. And didn't have a lot of answers. But it was a good challenge for me. It's a good challenge for me. And so I, I came back to St. Thomas, and I said, you know, I really want to learn. I really want to learn. And then something very beautiful happened in my last year at St. Thomas. Uh, I received the Holy Spirit, people, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I was at a prayer meeting. Catholics don't normally do this at church, okay? Uh, this is sort of foreign to us, but it shouldn't be. <laughs> shouldn't be. So I went to this prayer meeting, and people were like this, and I was uh, a senior in college, and I, I was along a wall that was away from the door, uh, and the room was filled. It was filled with people. And there was two young ladies, one uh, both from St. Kate's on my right and my left, and somebody went up with a word of knowledge and said, uh, there's new people here. Uh, who want to be prayed with. And uh, mind you, I had a lot of fear at the beginning of the prayer meeting, but somehow by the third song, it was dissipated, just went away. And so the two young ladies raised their hand from St. Kate's, and I said, okay, what the heck? Raised my hand. And so these two guys came over, and they prayed with all of us, and the woman on my right fell on the floor. (laughs) I said, well, that's kind of (laughs) interesting. Is she all right? <laughs> Need to be helped up at all? <laughs> no, just let her be. She's doing fine. Okay, okay. Uh, started praying over me, and so the guy says, well, uh, say hallelujah. I'm like, hallelujah. He says, say hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. All of a sudden, my tongue just started going. Okay, just started going. All right. And so I received the gift of speaking in tongues, right? And it felt like for me, from the deep interior, a water fountain was, a fountain of God's glory was turned on. It was rushing through my whole system. Okay, so I'm 22 years old. And from that moment, I said, I can never deny God again. I can never deny it. Uh, God is so real. The spiritual realm is so real. I'm in love. Okay. So I went back to my buddies. I lived in a house with three or four other college students from St. Thomas. I decided to take my St. Pauli girl beer poster down, <laughs> and I, I put up a crucifix, all right, put up a crucifix. Uh, all my drinking buddies started saying, uh, you're getting kind of weird. Uh, what's going on with you? Uh, I actually took holy water out, and I blessed all their cars. <laughs> Started praying for them, and uh, they're like, whatever. I had a girlfriend. I had a a girlfriend, and we started going to church uh, several times a week. So I was going on Tuesdays, going on Thursdays, going on Sundays. I was growing in the faith. I was reading about a lot of saints that, for me, like St. Francis of Assisi, have you ever heard of him? He was the first... First guy who ever had the stigmata, so he had the wounds of Christ. And I was reading about this, and I'm like, this is real. 
And this could happen to us. Okay, I was like, this is not just some holy people over there, angelic people, but gosh, they were like us. They were normal people like us, sinners, converted. And so uh, I began to hunger for that. I began to hunger for that. And then a scripture spoke to me. I, I did a year of evangelization with Net Ministries. Anyone heard of Net Ministries? Is that right? CJ and I said we. I work with CTV and we covered the lifeline. Okay, okay, wonderful, wonderful. So I I did a year of ministry on the road, uh, raised money to do evangelization. And in the middle of the road, this scripture came to me from Matthew 19. If you wish to be perfect, go sell what you have, give to the poor, and come follow me. I said, wow. I said, I want to be perfect. There was an instant desire in me that said, I want that. I want that. So I decided I began to think about religious life. So in our tradition, there are individuals who are totally consecrated to God. I think in other Protestant churches, there are some who are single for the Lord. Okay, so I know a group of brothers who are mostly Protestant who are single for the Lord in Michigan and other places. And uh, I just I started discerning this. And I'm thinking, Lord, you might be calling me to that. Well, I was at a, uh, a conference by a vineyard pastor named Gary Weens, and it was in Burnsville. You probably remember Gary Weens a little bit? He was sort of a disciple of Gary, uh, Wimber, John Wimber. And so Gary Weens came to Burnsville, and, uh, and this has a connection to Silver Bay, uh, which John told about. So I'm at this conference. There's 500 people from many different denominations at this conference. And Gary Weens came over, and he prayed over me, and he said, Consecrate him, Lord. Consecrate him, Lord. And that was the first moment for me of a kind of spiritual confirmation of my calling, my vocation. All right? And so I, I joined a, a new community of priests. Today I'm in a community of priests called the Companions of Christ. We have 25 members. We are all charismatic. Okay, we're all charismatic, Catholic charismatics. And we long to bring the baptism of the Holy Spirit to young people, to old people. Uh, we're doing that wherever we can. So uh, I'm at this conference in Burnsville, and uh, he stands up and he says, okay, uh, people who have never had a word of knowledge before are going to get a word of knowledge tonight. Okay, and I started getting very much afraid. Because <laughs> I'm like, I've never had a word of knowledge. I'm just learning what it is. So, uh, but I'm like, okay, if these other people got the courage to do it, I better have the courage to do it, right? So uh, I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, in my mind's eye, I see an egg beater. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's humorous. Uh, I see an egg beater, and I say, okay, egg beater. So I'm like the fourth person. I raise my hand. I go, I see an egg beater. <laughs> and Gary Weens goes to 500 people. He goes, does that mean anything to anyone? <laughs> Silence. <laughs> Nobody. I'm like, oh, man, Lord, you duped me. <laughs> so then he asked for an interpretation. Asked for an interpretation. Somebody starts actually feeling a little dizzy and says dizziness. He says, does dizziness mean anything to anyone? Somebody raised their hand and says, yeah, I have an ear infection, and for the last six months and I have dizziness. He says, will you come on, you two pray with each other. Okay, I left for the evening. I was done. That was it. Six months later, a woman walked up to me. She said, uh, Michael, I didn't answer your word on that night 
but I had a finger caught in an egg beater. And I had ligament damage. And so would you pray with me? And I prayed with her, and she had healing in her finger. Okay? She had healing in her finger. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. So now, fast forward 25 years, I'm with John Tolo, and he says, will you come up and do a rally day with me in Silver Bay, Minnesota, with my people? So I'm like, sure, I'll come up and do a rally day with you. We're knocking on doors, inviting people to rally day, praying with people, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, down at the community center's rally, and there's a vineyard church pastor there. And what's his name again, John? Jerry. Jerry. Thank you. So Pastor Jerry's there and his wife, and uh, and we're praying over each other, praying for God's blessing on the Vineyard Church people, et cetera. And he says, well, hey, uh, Michael, would you have breakfast with me tomorrow? I'm like, sure, I'll have breakfast with you. He says, we'll meet you down at the uh, Northwoods restaurant, whatever. Everything's like five ninety nine, is very cheap. And uh, I don't know how they make money, so I'm down there, and we're eating, and he goes, he's a Vineyard Church going. I, I said, well, yeah. I says, do you, uh, you ever heard of Gary Weens? He says, yeah, he says, uh, I went to a conference of his in Burnsville like 25 years ago. I says, I said, Jerry, I was at that conference. I was at the conference. And then he says, yeah, and you know what? He says, uh, all these people getting new words of knowledge, he said, and, and all of a sudden this guy said, egg beater. <laughs> yeah. And I sit up in the booth, and I'm like, Jerry, that was me. And Jerry goes, well, I was dizziness. So it was like, wow, yeah. That was, that was a story. That was a story. And so I'm not sure if there's still something more to come. I think there is. I think there's still something more. Uh, yeah, Silver Bay, divine anointing. So in any case, that's, that's part of my story. So at St. Thomas now, I have a, a movement called Christmaton. We have about 100, 150 young people coming. And we do it once a month, and it's permeating like this, and there's words of knowledge and so on. But and truth be told, I'm still learning. I'm, I'm a pupil of the whole kind of thing. So I was never sort of in charge of prayer meetings before, but I'm in charge now. <laughs> when you're preparing for priesthood, uh, what they say is, if you know what you're supposed to do next in Mass, you're not sure what to do next, you're kind of nervous, just genuflect. And then think about what you're going to do next while you genuflect, okay? You don't get the joke, but uh, when I tell it to seminarians, they all roar. You have to show me what that means. Genuflect? Do you know what genuflect is? Okay. That's a genuflection. So while you're genuflecting down, you think about what you're supposed to do next, okay? Yeah, that's funny. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Very, thank you. All right. Well, I do think that the Holy Spirit is doing something about unity. Of course, in John 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer, Lord, may they be one as, as you and I are one. You and I in them, they in us. And uh, I've been in ecumenical circles a few times, again in Philadelphia, working with uh, every denomination, which was fantastic. Some were charismatic, many were not. But I became acquainted with John and through John uh, Paul and Pastor Larry Alberts and uh, Redeeming Love Mike Smith. And so there is uh, a Friday kind of prayer meeting with pastors and others who join, which I started coming to last spring. 
And there's something happening now from the angle of the Catholic Church. Um, and I'm going to share one last story about the Holy Spirit and the Catholic Church because I, I think the baptism of the Holy Spirit is going to come in a humongous wave into the Catholic Church, okay? And I, I think it's going to be promulgated from the top at a certain point. I don't think this pope is going to do it, but a future pope is going to do it. In any case, um, God is doing something about unity. And so as I've gathered with you and, and the others, I see the Holy Spirit in power working in your young people's lives, okay? I, I saw it here in August, and I've seen it at Larry Albert's church. I've seen it in Frogtown, Godtown, sorry. Uh, and so the Holy Spirit, in the last 100 years, you know, 600 million Christians now baptized in the Holy Spirit in 100 years. Something like 120 million Catholics. I think the greatest majority uh, for us are in Latin America, like Brazil and so on. Uh, I'm told that one evening a week in Brazil, there's a Catholic charismatic prayer meeting with 9 million young people like you, okay? So it's growing there, and it's going to keep growing. Now, in 1965, uh, the Catholic Church and the Orthodox churches, for the first time, lifted the mutual excommunications, okay? So there was these excommunications. You and I weren't there. <laughs> Not our fault. <laughs> but uh, that happened uh, way back in 1054. was the first schism, and so we had a divided Christendom. And so the first time from 1054 to 1965, excommunications lifted. All right? And that was a patriarch of Patriarch Athenagoras from Constantinople and Pope Paul VI saying we're going to call each other brother and sis brothers and sisters now. All right? No longer going to call each other uh, the enemy. A lot of dialogue has been going on behind the scenes with other Orthodox churches. Uh, in the last 40 years, we've discovered that the Coptic Church, which is in Egypt, is not monophysite. Now, what does that mean? Monophysite means one nature, mono alone, physites nature, one nature. So it was thought for centuries that the Coptic Church only believed Jesus was one nature. All right? The early church had to settle that dispute. Was he just divine or was he just human? And the church ultimately decided that Jesus is divine and human. He has two natures in one person. Okay, that's Nicene Creed. Well, uh, we discovered they're not monophysite after all. And there's now a hand reaching out. And the same with the Russian Orthodox Church. They didn't want to talk at all, but in the last five years, they're starting to talk. Well, the same thing is starting to happen with evangelicals and Catholics, too. All right? And other mainline. So uh, Paul's Lutheran background, Lutheran Charismatic Renewal, in the 1990s, there was a document signed by a Roman congregation, Catholic Church, with the Lutheran Federation of Churches on justification agreeing to this point that grace and, grace and faith come as a free gift are not earned, and out of that we respond to grace. Okay, Now, the continuing of grace, I think there's still things to be ironed out, but all that beginning is now signed in a, in a, in a complementary dialogue, in, in, a, in a kind of concordat, if you will. Uh, in 2000, the year 2000, Pope John Paul II apologized for a number of... Um, Catholic sins over past centuries, including aspects of the Inquisition, Spanish Inquisition, uh, aspects of Counter-Reformation, and other places. 
He's also given back a number of relics and other very important religious things to other churches. So, for example, he's given back relics of the Greek saints to the Greek church, icons to Kazakhstan, and so on. So there's all these overtures happening that you probably are not aware of. Well, the Pope recently was videoed by an Anglican pastor, okay, from England. And he, you know, he's meeting with the Pope and their friends, and um, Pope Francis said, well, why don't I send a message to Ken Copeland in a big conference that's happening down there. Now you know Ken Copeland, right? Mm-hmm. All right, Ken Copeland. How many do not know Ken Copeland? <laughs> Kenneth Copeland. <laughs> All right, some of you don't know. So anyway, uh, there was a message. There was a message with Ken broadcast over the group, and Tony Parker, the Anglican pastor, uh, spoke of a new unity in Christendom to the whole group. Okay. The Pope recently visited with Pentecostals in southern Italy. Uh, he did pray with charismatics in Argentina on occasions and raised his hands like this. Okay. So he knows the charismatic movement and he is supportive of it. All right. Uh, I'm not sure that he br- was brought by that into his vocation, like, for example, I was. But he's tasted it. Now, at uh, World Youth Day in Brazil a couple summers ago, there was a gentleman who came up in a wheelchair. Right? And uh, he told a story about two saints, and I, I do want to uh, go back a little bit to the scripture at the end, but he told a story about two saints that, that we celebrate. Uh, one is called uh, St. Gemma Galgani, and the other is Elena Guerra. All right. This man in the wheelchair was quoting them because he's charismatic. All right. So what happened in the late 1900s was a woman named Elena Guerra started a new re- community of sisters, and she named them the Oblates of the Holy Spirit. Wonderful name, huh? The Oblates of the Holy Spirit. She wrote 12 letters to Pope Leo XIII saying, we need to promote in a major way worship and devotion to the Holy Spirit throughout the world. She was quoted as saying, we want the Veni Creator Spiritus come Holy Spirit to be prayed as much as the Ave Maria, which is Hail Mary. So she wrote him 12 letters saying as much. He wrote an encyclical as a result. He said something very insightful in that encyclical. One thing he said was the people of the Old Testament, the prophets had the Holy Spirit in a kind of down, down payment, okay, a kind of an initial pledge. I thought that was very theologically insightful. We always wonder, what about the prophets in the Old Testament, the holy people of the Old Testament? How do they have the Holy Spirit because Pentecost hasn't come yet, right? Well, if you're going to go buy a jacket from somebody at a store, you don't have all the money, you say, here's my down payment, 50 bucks, I'll come back, give you the, 100, the rest of the 100 later, right? So the metaphor used was Old Testament had a kind of down payment with prophets and so on, but the fullness came with Pentecost. Right? Well, so he wrote this encyclical. All right. She had in her uh, school a young lady named Gemma Galgani, whose parents died when she was fairly young. So she's in this boarding school. And the sisters taught her a really profound and beautiful devotion. It's a devotion to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. So she would rise 
Now, this, she's studying to do this as a seven-year-old. She would rise at 11 o'clock. She'd go to bed for an hour or two. She'd rise at 11 o'clock. She'd pray from 11 till midnight every Thursday night because that's when Jesus was in the garden. And she would console him there. And she started doing, you know, so many prayers and fasting and all out of love for Jesus. Then he started allowing her to suffer. She got a kind of illness that sort of paralyzed her. All right. But she would offer it to our Lord. All right. And she would become, over time, originally she, she thought, well, this ain't for me. I want to pray. And we want to pray for healing. And that's one thing that I admire about you in the prayers of healing. And I, we want to do it too. Because God has the power to do that. But some people, he does come, he does call into a more intimate relationship by his cross. All right? Victim souls, if you will. And so when she was uh, about 18, 17, he gave her the stigmata, all right? which is a, a phenomenon that seems to be happening more and more. All right? There's another guy, Padre Pio, had it. There's people right now, there's a, there's a priest in Croatia has it. Yeah, stigmata is some people have the wounds of Christ in their hands and in their side. Two, two wounds in the feet, two in the hands, and one in the side. And some of them bleed on Fridays, the day that Jesus died. Some of them bleed every day. Uh, in any case, so this phenomenon, a number, another wondrous things, you know, speaking in tongues and levitation, whatever. Uh, so this is another thing. Now, so she started getting the stigmata, and she said, she said, I love to compassionate Jesus. I love to compassionate Jesus. And so every, she basically would get the stigmata from Thursday night at 11 till Friday at 3, and then it would go away. All right, so every week, Thursday night at 11 till Friday at 3, she'd get it. Well, Gemma Galgani lived a, a rather short life. Um, she died at like age 23 or 4. All right. She died on Holy Saturday, the day before Easter, April 21st in the year 1903. 1903. She died on Holy Saturday as the Easter vigil has begun. All right? <clears throat> Celebrating the resurrection. Now, the Jewish tradition is the Sabbath or Shabbat begins on Saturday evening, right? or Friday evening at sundown till Saturday. So Sabbath is a full day, but beginning at darkness like until the next day. So she died when the Easter vigil was beginning to be celebrated, the resurrection of Jesus, uh, April 21st, 1903. Well, 11 years later, 1914, was the next time that Holy Saturday, the day before Easter, was April 21st, the same date. Just as the Easter vigil was beginning, Elena Guerra, her mother, died. Did you catch it? The mother taught the little girl in school the devotion to Jesus in the garden, the mother superior, Thursday from 11 till midnight. The seven-year-old started doing this every day, every Thursday. The seven-year-old grows up and dies in the 20s on this day, Holy Saturday in this year. Eleven years later, the mother superior dies at the exact same time. All right. Who taught her that devotion? Now, I'm at World Youth Day, and a guy's there in a wheelchair, and he's sharing the story about this. And then 
he tells a story about why he's in a wheelchair. He's talking in Portuguese, and it's translated over English. I'm listening to it on a, on a, on a phone. And uh, he says, I had a kind of conversion in my life. I was living not for Christ. I was living for pleasures, for selfishness. And roughly in his about 23 or 4-ish, he had a conversion, and he said, I want to go to World Youth Day. I want to go to Youth Day. So he started saving money. Started saving money. Well, uh, fairly poor family, I guess. Somebody heard that he was saving money in the house, and he came to rob the house. He came to rob the house, and he shot the guy. All right? Well, the guy went into a coma, but it just so happened that there was a paramedic down the street. He says that was divine providence. And family members, very devout, especially his mother, praying around the clock. All right? They say at the hospital he's in a coma, he's going to die, he's not going to make it. The mother says, oh, yes, he will. <laughs> oh, yes, he will. Praying around the clock for his son. Well, he did make it. Now, he's paralyzed in a wheelchair. He looked at the whole body, and he said, this is three million people on a beach. He said to the three million people on a beach, this is my cross. You all have your cross. He said, Jesus saved me on that date, and I have a mission in this life, and so do you. He says, but I want you to do this. This was very bold. He said, Pope Francis, I want to invite you and all you people on this beach, three million people, to kneel down and consecrate the world to the Holy Spirit. That's what he said. I want you to consecrate the world to the Holy Spirit. I knelt down. Okay, many people didn't do it. They didn't even know what was going on. But I really believe that the unity that's coming is coming through the charisms and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's going to be the, the doorway, all right, so that we can pray together this way, and eventually the theology can come together, okay? But first we start praying together that way. So I'm very excited about that, very excited about that, and I'm listening. I'm listening, Lord, what do you want to do? What do you want me to do? I feel very much called to bring the baptism of the Holy Spirit to the Catholic Church, and so I have 137 seminarians who are going to be priests one day. <laughs> and uh, I'm bringing it to all of them. Okay, bringing it to all of them. And, and some say they don't want it yet, but, uh, but a, a bunch of them are. Okay, a bunch of them are. <clears throat> Amen. And, and then many St. Thomas students too. All right, and they're, they're falling in love with the Lord and they're experiencing this, the presence. All right. Uh, I think we still have to grow more in the expression of the charisms. And how you do that? Um, we had a conference not too, just a couple weekends ago at St. Thomas, and we had a guy come in, and people were getting words of knowledge, and we had 200 people with some kind of healing. In fact, two people were actually healed with their eyesight, praying over right in front of everybody. So actually, over a thousand people at this thing, so they're actually healed, and it's wondrous. And I think that's going to continue to happen and unfold. All right. Well, um, I'm going to finish with this idea from Scripture because this is kind of what's on my heart in in my life right now. In John's gospel, Jesus is on the cross, and he said, I I'm going overboard. There's people leaving here. What time do I got? You're good. Nine o'clock. Sorry about that. Five minutes? Okay. You're fine. All right. John 19. Jesus is on the cross, and he, and he says, I thirst. He says, I thirst. What does that mean? What does that mean, I thirst? Well, there's a few different answers you could have. One is he thirsts for souls. He thirsts for souls. 
the Missionaries of Charity, Mother Teresa's order, every chapel they have a crucifix, and right underneath it are the words, I thirst. And she tells her sisters to put their names in that. So they hear Jesus say, I thirst for you, Sister Mary Claire. I thirst for you, Sister Agnes Margaret. And so you can think that for yourself tonight, what your name is. Fill it in. Jesus says, I thirst. Put your name there. Okay? Secondly, I thirst. In John's Gospel and another place, Jesus says, my food is to do the will of one who sent me. My food is to do the will of the one who sent me. He thirsted to fulfill the Father's plan. He thirsted to finish it. And so he said on the cross, it is finished. His food was to do what he saw the Father doing. Do you know that Jesus did not, he did not even allow what he did to originate from his own creativity? Because he also says, I do only what I see the Father doing. It was a total self-emptying, a total kenosis. I do only what I see the Father doing. That means he gave up the pride, the vanity. Of course, he never sinned. But all the options of originating the acts, the miracles, the preaching, all of it originated with the Father. And he carried it out. Sometimes uh, I have so many great dreams about what could happen spiritually. (laughs) Uh, I've dreamt about building a a bigger seminary because actually I have had to turn guys away. Uh, I don't have enough space for them. I've dreamt of building a charismatic high school. (laughs) I've dreamt of certain kind of missionaries. i got a lot of good dreams. And, you know, if only God would understand what I know, things would be great. Get that? If you only had my good ideas. But I'm learning, I'm learning more about the total detachment, not just from created things, even from sinful things, but from even my own spiritual ideas that might not be God's ideas. All right? And it's hard to kind of discern that, what's me, what's God. Uh <laughs> But in any case, I'm saying, you're already done. Help me come to that point of my will totally united to your will so I can say, I do only what I see the Father doing, (laughs) what Jesus is doing. All right. So Jesus thirsted to do the Father's will. Finally, I'm going to say something kind of striking. I think it's actually very deep spirituality. He thirsted to suffer. I say, that does not make sense. It certainly does not make sense to our world. It's a paradox to say that it's by death you get life. By a cross you're raised up. Christianity is full of paradoxes. But I think when he said I thirst, he also thirsted because he thirsted for the salvation of all those he loved. All right? And because of it, he said, I want to suffer to redeem and atone. I want to do it. There are saints, I, I listed a number of them, who actually desired to suffer with Jesus for the salvation of souls. And they had a special calling. All right, Some of them had the stigmata. Some of them got up at 11 o'clock on a Thursday night, prayed till midnight. Your crosses you can offer, obviously, right? You can offer your crosses and give them to God. And he will use that too as a prayer. 
for those that you love, for those who you intercede for. And so I encourage you to do it. There's something very beautiful and heroic in it. There's something very beautiful and heroic. And there's something in me that's a fire's raising up that says, I want something of that. I want something of that which came to those who totally surrendered, who hungered for righteousness, perfection, and charity, and so it was given. We can't outdo God. I, I, the speaker came the other day to speak to us. I learned that he tithes 12 thirteenths of what he has. 12 thirteenths. Uh, been to supper with this guy twice. Both times he grabbed a check. <laughs> check. Grabbed it before I could get it. Generous. All right. When we're generous back to God, he will never be outdone by generosity. Okay? But we have to pour it out. Now, I'm not suggesting you have to do 12, 13. I think that's something that he was called to. But I look at it as a very heroic and beautiful thing. All right. So, tonight, a few ideas then. Number one, the Lord wants unity. Father, may they be one as you are and I are one. You and I and them, they and us. And so there are different streams right now where the Holy Spirit is working in power. And, and this is one of them. I see it. I love how you exalt Jesus. You want to exalt Jesus. All right. And you don't want, you don't want anything to get in the way of exalting Jesus. And that's something really beautiful. And your love for the scriptures, precious, beautiful. Uh, this man, very trained and trained many and charismatic gifts, the Holy Spirit, I know a number of you are unfolding with that. I celebrate, okay? And I think there are beautiful things we can learn from each other, okay? And, and, and from the Catholics, too, uh, some of the greatest saints and how they prayed and their mysticism is wondrous. And those who had the stigmata, that's wondrous. A lot of you learned about that tonight, okay? And there are other beautiful things. So as we pray together, the rest will come, okay? So we'll keep doing that. And we look forward to having you at Charismata. Okay, God bless all of you. So let's pray. And let's listen. do you want to do now Lord Jesus Lord of the church walking among your people here walking among us
What do you want to do? What do you want to say? Who do you want to touch? I want to pray with a, a couple guys who are in the back, Nate and Brock. Come on up here. This set of pictures we're waiting um, on the Lord. I felt that I, I saw him smiling down on us. And it was not just us here, but it was the world, actually. I saw how when my parents were missionaries in Japan, there was a Catholic charismatic group. And the Japanese people knew that there were Catholics, Protestants. But their hearts were warm to see that not only Catholics could be there, others could be there. And Lord, I see that you are smiling down, saying, that's right. They will know we are Christians by our love. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it is love that melts people's hearts. It is your kindness and your love, Father, that has led us to repentance. We repent, Lord, for animosity, hatred, all, all sorts of lies and where the enemy has come in. And we say there's no place for the enemy anymore. Yeah. It's you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence and for the work of your Holy Spirit. We look forward to what you're going to be doing more and more and more for your glory. In Jesus' name. Wednesday last week at about 8 or 7 p.m. my grandma was hit by a car in Wisconsin right after church. She was actually rushed to Regions Hospital, actually airlifted there. And about on Thursday she never woke up, didn't respond or anything, so they put her on life support. About Thursday, about 6 o'clock, I got up the call. Nate, you come down to the hospital. Grandma's not going to make it. I came down there. I watched them pull my grandma off life support and watched her pass at 10.30 at night. 
during all that, I was drinking crazily. I was... I was a, a recovering alcoholic. And... The best thing I could find was alcohol, so I started drinking more. So, during the weekend, I was drinking. Noticing Monday was going by, I was like, okay. The funeral's today. The thing that really surprised me was... The person that hit my grandma was at the funeral. Instead of being angry and start taking it out on him, I apologized. I, I accept their forgiveness. I forgave them for hating my grandparents, but that's one of the hardest things to do is forgive. And I decided to forgive then to hate. Mm -hmm. And today... I went to the burial grounds and I was a pallbearer. I carried her to a resting place. So how are you doing tonight? Well, much better since you came and got me when I was pretty drunk before I was here. What time was it about? 4.30. Well, 4.30, I was so intoxicated that I was having a hard time walking. So let's pray for Nate. Nate's got a wonderful heart. He's got a desire to follow the Lord. There's a tenderness about him. I just want to pray that uh, the Lord will uh, touch him. Brock, you, you, we'll, we'll uh, pray for you next, but I want you to help us pray for Nate here. Um, some of you know Nate. How many of you know Nate? You've, you've seen him around here. Okay. We bless Nate. We thank you that you enabled him to forgive that woman. And we thank you that you are working in his heart. Thank you that he could come here tonight. We thank you for the good things that you are doing in him. And we we see him not as a victim, but as a victor. We see him not as an alcoholic, but as one who is strong in Jesus. We pray for victory over, over drinking. We pray for uh, victory over this. We pray that you would put him in a place where he can not just survive, but he can thrive. We picture you thriving. We picture you released to bring the message of Jesus to others. We know what's going to happen because you surrendered. You gave in. You said yes to God. You forgave that woman. We release any bitterness that's there from your childhood, anything from uh, uh, your childhood that has been painful to you. We know God is at work in you, and we're glad you're here tonight. If anybody has any words for him tonight, you, you find him. He's going to stick around for a little while. The reason I want to pray for Brock is that he just bought a ticket to go back to Mozambique. And uh, he's leaving on the 30th, and uh, he probably could use money. You know, don't wait till you have money to become generous. Start becoming generous now and give it away. Because if you learn to give it away now, it's always going to be coming in, and you're going to become a, a river rather than a reservoir, and you can give it away. So give give something to 
to Brock because he's heading back. Just say a word about that. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me up here. Uh, thanks, Paul, for calling me forward. Um, I find it hard to have the courage to come forward, and I don't really like the microphones or the crowds, but I'm going overseas with uh, Iris Ministries, um, Heidi and Roland Baker, and I've actually already signed up long-term with them. Um, I've been home since mid-August. I was there for nine months and twice previous. Um, but this time around, I'm hoping to get a uh, resi- residency there, residential visa. Isn't that something? Yeah. So he's going to live there, not to be a missionary for a little while, but to live there. Yeah. So I'm I'm believing God for, I mean everything in the process. Um, I mean everything is going to be deadline, even from getting a visa to go back, and I'm going to have to figure out residency over there because it's looking like I can't do it beforehand. So a lot of it's just going forward in faith and. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm blessed to have a lot of amazing connections there and a lot of favor with the government, with the, the ministry I'm with. Um, so Lord's really just been paving the way and it's just incredible the fruit they've been seeing up there in, in Northern rural Mozambique, uh, using kind of the, even as the gospel, the, the word says the foolish things that confound the wise, how the Lord is, he's going after the rural people, not necessarily the 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 cultured or the urbanized people but the the people far in the bush bush he's he's sending the revival there yes. before the the populated region so it's 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 hilarious but it's it's beautiful what are you saying oh um just amazing mighty warriors uh, men and women of god being raised up and you know, they they don't have seminary degrees. They don't have um, even years of training in the churches, but they are so empowered by the Spirit of God and uh, and so hungry like sponges. We we do evangelisms. We also do seminars, and uh, and we just teach the word. And we have incredible um, men of God district pastors who we we can also just trust with this work of the gospel. And so. A lot of times we go and we, we do evangelisms and we hand the work off to them to continue the discipling. And, and, uh, and again, with these seminars, they, we, we kind of like trade off teaching and, you know, they'll teach. And then one of us Westerns will teach. And I'm just blown away, like, by the, the wisdom and knowledge they carry. Um, I see them as, as spiritual mentors, as papas in my life. Um, so it's it's just such a, a neat work, and um, even this word of unity tonight, I get to see it in a cross-cultural environment um, where we just get to raise up Mozambicans around us and uh, and just hand this work off to them. Somebody come up and bless his hands for healing. Someone that, that you feel you're supposed to come up yeah. and bless his hands. Anointing. My hands are... Yeah, I, I want anointing. Anointing, that's it. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, let's let's really give him some, uh, give him money, and and bless him. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you could have a part through giving to him? We could give him hundreds, thousands. We could this group. Yes. More knowledge of other people's backs and other things like that, Lord, that they would just continue. So there, there would just be a continual like, releasing of your words of knowledge over yeah. him, and he would just be able to see that and hear that and know 
that's what he's supposed to do. And I just, even even as he was, as he, even as the, even as the pastor was speaking, and he just felt that, where he just knew that, like Jesus is calling me to like give everything up and just go, and I'm not my will, but His will be done, Lord. And I just, I thank you. That's the cry of Barak's heart, and he just he's felt that, Lord. And I ask that you can just continue to release, release more. Lord, you are a generous God. You said, you said, you said, you said, you said, right, rain to fall on the just and the unjust and the evil and the good, Lord. And I thank you. That's who you are, and that your your justice and your mercy and your goodness and your forgiveness they don't know bounds, Lord. And I ask that that would just that because you are a generous God, that you would just continue to pour out anointing on Brock right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Pray for anointing of the Holy Spirit to fill him, to engulf him, to use him powerfully, Lord. Yes, Lord. Hmm. A simple tool used powerfully in the hands yeah. of the living God. Raise him up with an apostolic witness in that nation, O oh Goddess. He is going not to come back. He is going to stay. We have some missionaries that are in Zimbabwe now. Mm. And when we talked to them, they came and uh, came through here. Mm. And I said, how long are you going to stay there? They've got kids with them. I said, how long will you stay there? And they said, we're going to die there. That's called commitment. Father, we just thank you for this man of God. And-